stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. Dead Reckoning focuses a lot on writing, um, but but you can you can tell a story without writing a tremendous amount. Um, and, and I think one of the first things that I noticed about you was that you you do write a bit um, with your social media following and stuff, and you know you you tell a lot about your family history. So uh, you know, let's start with uh, with that first question I, I fired you away. Uh, you know, why why do you think stories are important? Um, yeah, I think that's. That's pretty cool that uh, you're reading that stuff too. Um, I think stories are important. You know, one, uh, if I just look at my own family history as, you know, I'm a half read. So my mother's native. Um, my mother is Muscular Apache. My dad is, you know, a white, a white cowboy from from uh, San Diego that uh, became a mountain man in Montana. So, um, you know, just stories in general, um, whether they are, and I, I'll kind of tailor this towards like some veteran kind of audience or whatever to give them that understanding. But a lot of times, um, you know, when you look at tactics and techniques that we use on the battlefield or ways that we train and, and such, I mean, those are essentially, you're just telling the story. So sometimes those stories that those old guys have, uh, especially when they get into um, the tactics that they use or the things that they did, I mean, that passes on from generation to generation. And you have what we have now is, you know, what the Ranger Handbook is, like the standard for the infantrymen on the ground. Those started off as guys sharing stories, you know, AARs that went in, in their stories on the battlefield, and then put into into written documents that become, you know, doctrine and, and the standard. So um, that to me is why storytelling is important. And, you know, from my Native background, it's like, well, we didn't write everything down we didn't have all these books and stuff so we had people and elders that would constantly hold on to these stories and tell stories to educate um whether it was on a tactical level and you know how or exactly are you hunting something or how are you training horses or whatever you're doing all the way to just um you know kind of uh almost like religious base and teachings and practices you should have to be a good person um to be a good member of the society but do you think you got a lot of that or do you think you had to kind of kind of search it out on your own? Um, you know, I was very blessed. I was fortunate enough. I got, I got a lot of that um, because and, and just to give you a quick insight of my family history, um, my grandmother. Uh, so my on my native side of the family, um, my great grandmother, my grandmother, um, my uh, my mother's father as well as his siblings um so my mom excuse me i'm twisting my words around my mother's mom and my mother's father both went to um residential boarding schools so a lot of people don't know about those and what it was but it's basically the epitome of cancel culture of um you know they thought they could educate the indian out of out of uh the natives and be basically allow them to inculcate in a white society a lot of that was done through religious means, through the Catholic Church. Um, you know, I, I'm not here to to bash on Catholics, but I, I mean, it, there's a lot of evilness that's gone on in that church. You know, since it's mm. since it's started. Um, I'm Christian. I'm not Catholic. Um, but uh, so they went to that school, and basically, what happened was they would remove all their traditions from them. They wouldn't allow them to pray, to worship, to speak their language. Um, they had to cut their hair. So they want really wanted them to become, you know, Americans essentially and and get rid of the traditional ways. Um, so that being said, my grandmother moved um when she was pregnant with my mom to San Diego. And she went to San Diego County, um, lived in the mountains, 
um, up by Julian. And uh, just wanted the kids to not be, have to go through that, you know, have to go to those schools and whatnot. Um, but if anybody knows anything about that part of uh, San Diego County, there's probably, you know, 10 Indian reservations with, within, uh, yeah. you know, like a 25 mile radius. So it's not like my grandmother escaped it, right? So my mother ends up going to same, um, basically kind of uh, boarding schools out by, um, I want to say it was out by Pomona or uh, Ramona. Ramona, if I'm yeah. Not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so anyway, you know, that I add that because those storytelling and those things were very important. So not all the stories that I've learned were just from the Apache side of things. It was from all these other um, natives that my mother became friends with that she met in school or um, just lived in the area where she lived in San Diego. Um, and then my mother was, uh, after she graduated high school, she moved to Montana. And when she moved to Montana, she was um, adopted into the Assiniboine tribe by a man named Harris Rock, who is like another grandfather to me. Um, so all the traditions and everything I was raised in as a kid were um, were very much, you know, they're all Assiniboine traditions. I don't know anything Apache. Um, my grandmother uh, was very ashamed of what happened to her and never talked about it until, until she was in her 90s and, and dying. You know, she kind of opened up a little bit about it. Um, so that was a really long way to get into, um, you know, the storytelling that I learned from the elders from that I heard, um, people talking about were all from the Assiniboine tribe. Um, but I think it's very important because that also allowed me to get into tradition, to learn, to learn, uh, things that I might not have learned, you know, being in that, that kind of that product of that boarding school system. Um, my grandmother basically inculcated with the Mexican American community. Um, she did learn Spanish at the uh, boarding school. Um, uh, and I do have a little bit of Spanish blood in me, you know, from, uh, obviously, you know, the conquistadors. Um, yeah. but, but, um, so my grandmother was raised like a Mexican. So I had a really, really cool, uh, upbringing as a kid where, you know, my dad's like white side of the family or these very, um, hard, tough, gritty cowboys and my mother's native side of the family um, were kind of like Mexicans that are also Indian. So um, very multicultural, very cool background um, in my family. And then getting back to the storytelling piece of this, um, you know, just looking at it as what I do now and what I want to be, um, what I want to be when I grow up, I say, uh, is a cowboy. Um, some of the stories that just old cowboys talk about sitting around the fire um has kept me out of out of horse wrecks or or bad instances because they're sharing what happened to them mm -hmm. and um you're just listening you're just you're soaking it all in and it kind of goes back to like that ranger handbook if you will we have these guys telling you what they did and what they did wrong or what they did right to get out of a sticky situation and and that has helped me you know i've been out in the middle of nowhere by myself in the mountains and you know, and, and had to actually in, uh, implement some of the things I've heard old guys talk around the fire. And if I didn't hear that story, I might have put myself in a bad spot or, or I wouldn't know what to do. Um, so I think that's just a very tangible way of explaining why storytelling is important. Not only does it keep traditions, but it also has a lot to do with training and techniques and, and, uh, and yeah. keeping those things alive as well. Yeah, I think like, I mean, there's something to be said about like the importance of oral history there too, right? Like you, I can, I can read, you and I can both read all of the books, you know, about residential schooling, which like I didn't know about until after I got out of the army, once I started school, 
but like, we're not going to get everything. Right. And like, and you can, you can carry on like all of your grandmother's stories, but like, you still won't fully experience everything, but you'll experience probably a lot more from her, you know, the stories that she did share with you um, based on, on those things rather than, or, or even just the way that she didn't. I mean, I think, I think silence is a form of oral history too. Um, and, you know, learning that dynamic in, in asking, uh, about the stories. So, uh, cause yeah, I was going to ask I like, they like, they, I mean, they probably had some, you were, you were talking about like the areas that, that she lived in and stuff. Um, and, and your, your Spanish side too. And like, they probably had like some common ground with like the, the fallout from the missions and stuff too. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Just, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you look at, um, I'm really, really big into history. I love history. Um, and when I say I love history, I love American history. Um, I'm not kind of, I'm not a real big fan of world history. Um, I study warriors and, and warrior class of people. Um, and I think that's why American history to me is so exciting and so cool because we, it wasn't that long ago, but we also, all come from and derive from the greatest warriors the planet's ever seen, whether that's on the native side or that's, you know, um, Vikings or, or the conquistadors. Um, and it sounds harsh, right? And a lot, a lot of people don't like that, they, especially um, kind of the woke culture nowadays. They don't want to uh, recognize things. But when you look at the reason why I say why I'm bringing history into it is when you look at uh, the Spanish, right? A lot of people always talk about, you know, Western expansion and colonialism, and they want to make it like it's these white Europeans that came to the Americas and moved across the Western United States and, and conquered, you know, the uh, the tribes. The reality of it was, is you know, in seven, I think it was seven eleven A.D. The Moors conquered the Iberian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. People don't know who the Moors are; they're from North Africa. So a bunch of black dudes on horses were these badass warriors, and they conquered the Iberian Peninsula. So everyone in portugal spain italy um all their horsemanship everything they learned their warrior class of those guys were from north africa they also didn't bring women and they stayed so when you do a 23 and me and you're from portugal you have a bunch of north african in you well that's where the term mulatto comes into play so you fast forward you know a couple hundred years later when the conquistadors are landing in central america and the Spanish literally marched from Guatemala to Canada and then from Guatemala to Chile. Um, it wasn't a bunch of blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guys. It was a bunch of big mixed-race badass warriors who were mestizos, or excuse me, uh, mulattoes. Yeah. And then you you add, you know, them um, almost kind of, you know, involving natives. Uh, I think a lot of people also look at uh, Native American history and we think of one specific type of native. And that also really bothers me because most people think of, you know, living in teepees, hunting buffalo, kind of Plains Indian, um, big, tall, skinny Sioux warriors, but, you know, or like the Apache because um, there's, you know, pictures of Geronimo and, and, and uh, you know, what him and his warriors did. But the reality is, is you had so many different types of people. They looked different. They spoke different languages. They lived different means and way of life. And when these Spaniards came in Central America, they found massive cities and these huge populations. So I don't think it was this, you know, just this conquering class. I do think they inculcated a bit with society. And, and the reason for that is just look at people's skin color today. So when you, as we continue talking through this history of, of uh, you know, where the conquistadors march 
I mean, everything in California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado is all either named a native name or a Spanish name when you think of mountains or cities or things that go on in there. Um, there's even a lot of tribes, especially in California and in uh, Arizona, that have a lot of Spanish names in them, what they are, like Las Lobos is in San Diego, right? That's a Spanish word, as Spanish as it gets. And then when you look at just the color of people from, you know, California, all the way, you know, like I said, those Western states, and then down in, all the way through Chile, um, they're brown for a reason, right? Like, because they didn't have this big European northern european um expansion into their into that part of the continent so the reason i'm saying all this and sharing it is because yes i love history but i think it's so convoluted in how horrible war is um how many things tie into it how we're all closer together than we are different and i hate when people really try to put an umbrella on something and be like oh it was white colonizers did this to indians no no that's not necessarily the case And that that isn't everything that happened. Some Indians also fought with white settlers, fought with them, against them, for them. I mean, you're looking at this ultimate racist survival that happened in our continent, you know, a few hundred years ago. So I think we have the ability as Americans now to really study that warrior culture. Um, We've honored it in our military, you know, um, all of our tactics and techniques on guerrilla warfare we're the best in the world at it and there's a reason why um it's because we use that from starting from king philip's war you know all the way to the the, the scouts and um the apache scouts you know yeah. world war one era so why why do you think it's so important to distinguish like i mean you, you know yeah. you're, you're talking about like like breaking down those like blanket uh you know the blanket blaming like, why, why do you think, why do you feel like that's important to you? I feel like it's important because, you know, whether, whether you look at different native tribes, you know, you could be, uh, I don't know the name of the tribe. I wish I wish I had it in, in my memory. Um, but there was a tribe who in California who were literally just, they got their, um, their, uh, their waters back and some land back that they had been fighting for. And they literally just turned around like an entire uh, species of salmon that were, you know, about to go extinct because they use their traditional ways of who they were as fishermen and these coastal, this very coastal tribe who was so connected to the sea. That tribe is way different than where I'm from. You know, in Montana, the Cinnamoline, they're horsemen, they're warriors. They are a different type of native. So we don't speak the same language as those Indians in California who are primarily fishermen and live off the land and live off the sea. If we flip those roles, you know, 200 years ago and you took an Assiniboine warrior to California and uh, one of their warriors in Montana, I mean, would they even survive if they didn't have the village to depend on? Um, Because they don't know. It's a completely foreign thing. So I think it's important for natives to to reflect on that and understand that because that's your tradition. That's who you are, right? Um, Me, my traditions and things that I practice doesn't necessarily mean that's what Hopi people believe in and, and they do. So there's a really, I think that's important to keep that side of the culture alive. And then the reason why I don't like the umbrella effect is because, especially in our country, you had, whether it's, you know, uh, you name the race of people, whether they're, you know, it was, it was African-American, you know, Africans, um, Irish, uh, Italians, doesn't matter. There is a, um, a subset, like culture there that I think really, really makes America so cool. And 
people who didn't serve in the military have a hard time understanding this. But I mm -hmm. think people who served in the military clearly get that because you will see uh, a white country kid from Alabama be best friends with um, a black kid from Brooklyn, New York, um, and just bond and love each other and have this brotherhood um, of two completely, two completely different um, people and ideologies and the way they grew up. But the but the military allows them to see the see the likeness in each other and really and and you know be brothers. So where else in this country are you going to have you know some white hunting fishing country kid from Alabama that's best friends with a with a black kid from from Brooklyn, New York? Um, so I think that unless you've felt that and you've experienced that, sometimes it is easy for Americans to just want to blanketly umbrella something and say, well, this is all bad or this is all good. Um, without really understanding the nuances that go on into different areas of the world, or excuse me, of, of our country, as well as traditions, families, your background, all those things matter. And, and you can't just umbrella it. I think you're really taken away from uh, how awesome we are as a country and a melting pot and what we've done um, by stripping that away and trying to umbrella it all. Yeah. I, I mean, and it goes, uh, you can take it back to, to the residential schooling and, and the Catholic church. Like it's not, it's not really enough to just say like, ah, the Catholic church is bad. It, it's like when, when people spout off conspiracy theories about like one group controlling everything like that, that doesn't actually make sense. No one's that efficient, especially the U S government. Like we're, we, we just can't, we just, we, we, we just can't, I can't put all my eggs in that basket. So when when you talk about something like residential schooling and, and only blame the Catholic Church, there were so many other people involved in that. They for sure probably had the biggest hand, especially like in the direct impact uh, that it had on people. But but there were so many other people involved as well. Um, that that you're right. Like if you only if you only like blanket blame, you know, one group of people, um, then then you're ignoring the rest of it, right? And you're missing right, pieces. Well, we Absolutely. And I mean, there, you know, we, we literally just saw this firsthand, you know, uh, the last few years in our country where, you know, people mm -hmm. who wanted to be vaccinated versus people who didn't want to be vaccinated, um, where, you know, people can look at that and say, well, like, well, you're evil, like who would own slaves or who would hate natives or who would hate Indians or who would think this. But the reality is you're only if you're educated to a certain point and you're told and you're fed all this information, you're going to take that as you know, your perception is your reality. So if you're told that all natives are bad and they all want to kill you, every Indian is a savage, like that's what you're going to believe. You're not going to see the humanity in them. And again, the reason why I brought in that, that COVID thing is because we literally saw people doing that to each other in our own country that didn't have anything to do with race or anything. It was literally just like, if you're not wearing a mask in a certain place, you're allowed to be cussed at and treated like absolute crap. Or you're not allowed into a certain place because you don't have a document saying that you are, are a, you know, you're vaccinated. Um, and that was the same thing we saw, you know, Jim Crow laws, Jim Crow era just happened to be you didn't have to pull out a, a piece of paper to prove something. They could look at the color of your skin. And I let me let me add this to I'm not yeah. comparing the way people are treated COVID to, you know, the atrocities that we have seen in our country and some of the really horrible things like Jim Crow laws oh. and such. Um, just giving that as as a slippery slope and how things can start to go down that path and how easy it is for people to not see the humanity in others um, and see them for people to just see them as bad an umbrella. Everything is, you know, you, me against you. Yeah. 
No, it's been a wild couple of years. And that, that was, I mean, really like the once, once masks started coming off, I know there were like, you know, there were, there were a couple experiences I had where like people assumed, you know, where like masks were optional in stores and stuff, you would go in and no matter how you felt like a store owner would like ask you to put on a mask. And like, my thing was like, I mean, I don't have one, but if you, if you need me to put one on to come in your store, like I'd love to give you my patronage. And they were like shocked, like that I didn't scream at them. So it's like, there was no, you know, most of the issues that we have in this country right now, there's no like in between it's, it's one side or the other and it's extremes. Um, Absolutely. but yeah, man, it, it was, it's weird to see that too, because there's so much information um, available to you, but it's also when you do look at the way information is garnered, it's like, you know, if you Google something, they can, they can hide something, you know, way down the list on what you're Googling and kind of, they only want you to see this or see that. And there's just so much of that, like that does feed into um, not conspiracy theorist stuff, but does feed into the misinformation or how you interpret the story and, you know, back to storytelling, you know, if I witness something and you witness something, we're going to have two different versions of what we both witnessed depending on, you know, our angle that we saw or the things that we've been through in our lives too, the trauma we've dealt with will also allow you to express a different version of that same story. Um, And I think that because of social media, because of the news, because of everything that's going on, it's very easy to forget that as Americans. And it's, it's like, no, I read it once or I heard it here and that's what it is. Um, You know, and you can see that clearly with, you know, Palestine and, and um, Israel and, and, how people are taking certain sides and, and miss just misquoting history and saying all kinds of crap that doesn't make sense. And that's from both sides, whether that's the Israeli side or the Palestinian yeah. side, um, you know, which is, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy to see, especially when the information is right in front of you, if you want to look for it. Right. It's uh, yeah, there, there's a lot going on. Uh, and, and, and we keep falling down the same, the same wormholes with, uh, not fact finding and, and eating up misinformation or, or trying to just like be so vigilant about misinformation that we're not looking at what's available to us. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other questions that, that we had kind of discussed before was, uh, was what's your favorite part of a story? So we get, get why why you like stories, why stories are important mm-hmm. to you. Um, you know, how stories have, have come to play a role in your life. Um, if you had to choose a part of a story, that's the most important. What, what is it? I think the coolest thing or my favorite part of a story, especially when it's a true story and it's about life and about events is that, um, that story, it never ends. It, it never, you, you, it's an endless, it's an endless story. It could be an endless book. Um, and I'll take my own life, you know, and give you an example of that is, you know, yeah. Was I a green beret and special forces, um, do I have multiple combat rotations, to Iraq, Afghanistan? I do, but those are, chapters of my life or maybe one big chapter or a few long chapters it's not the entire book and and who i am um it helps add to you know the story of me um and even when i get old and i die you know it it's like could i does my story still exist yeah as long as my kids and my grandkids tell that story and they talk about me or or you know for the next four or five generations um maybe i'm able to impact my community on a level um and not comparing myself to Martin Luther King, but look at Martin Luther King, right? Like how long has he been passed away? You know, he's, he now has great grandkids. So he's got three generations of storytellers and people that tell his story. And he was so effective in his community that even the community and people want to tell his story about who he was 
So I think that's the coolest part of the story is that the reality of it is if it doesn't end and it doesn't have to, it doesn't end with death. It doesn't begin with life with birth. Um, it's just this awesome, really kind of, you know, cliche way of saying, you know, like a never ending story. Right. It, and it, um, and as it's cool as you want to make it because, uh, the sky's the limit and you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do and impact people. How, um, you have that ability to do that. So I think that's really cool. Man, yeah. solid, solid answer. I love your little disclaimers too, dude. <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Martin Luther King. Just, <laughs> Wait, don't worry, just in you. case, I dude. Just, <laughs> I just really like that guy. He's pretty, pretty badass, dude. He sure is. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think like as far as it being a never ending too, like, you know, you can, you can, like, that's akin to your, uh, your family history and the military history within your family and how, you know, how you're, you're doing what your dad did right now. Um, you know, but you also followed in the footsteps of, of other family members in the military. And, you know, eventually you'll probably be that, uh, you know, for your family, like you'll, you'll be, you'll be a piece in, in that long line of, of history, you know, that people will talk Absolutely. about, you know, Absolutely. from your grandfather all the way to you. And then, uh, from the military to, to cowboy and stuff. So what do you think on that note is the most important part of your story, whether it's to you or to other people, like what, you know, what, what's the most important, important part of your story? Warriors. We still, we're still here. We're, we still exist. Um, I think that, you know, especially looking at today's society, um, and how soft we are, um, you know, that old saying of, you know, uh, forget how it goes. I'm not for like George Bush. Well, you, you fault my fault potato. Um, but, uh, where it's like, you know, strong men create, you know, weak, 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 pro weak times create strong men and uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the saying, uh, <laughs> fumbling it up pretty good. Um, hard times for men are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like hard times create hard men, you know, soft, easy times create soft men. Um, we are, we are, you know, seeing that. Um, but I think that the reason why I say the most important part of my story is warriors and warrior society is because we haven't gone anywhere. Um, there, there are still families like mine, um, raising children to be warriors. Um, that's downplayed a lot in our society because everyone wants it. It's so easy that we can cry and complain about things that don't freaking matter at all. You know, if you want to identify as a fucking toaster, I don't care. Just don't mess with kids. Just be moral. You want to be a toaster, do your thing. But, but, you know, and I think that in society, it's like, it's so easy that now we want it to be important, right? Like, no, I want you to know that I'm a toaster and I want it to be important to you. This is not important to me, you know? And those types of things I think are a bigger distraction and they get to where we are now when you look at, you know, openly people openly supporting terrorist organizations or, you know, openly being racist, whether that's white, black, whatever, it, it, they're, they're, we're allowing these things to happen without understanding that you know, back again, back to regardless of your skin color, where you're from and who you are, you are from the, the land, whether you're white, you know, your Polish ancestry, get some of the most badass, uh, I think they're the Hoosier horse soldiers in Poland, like 
it, no matter what your background is or where you're from, you come from a very warring class of society of people. That blood is in your veins. Mm-hmm. And then we basically harvested all that in America and tied it together with the most badass warriors the planet's ever seen. Um, you know, and you look at, I don't want to go back into history again, but you look at the horsemen, you look at what what some of these tribes and, and uh, natives were able to do fighting this massive, massive tech, advanced technology about force in the army. And then looking at how the army basically transforms itself into fighting with uh, and using tactics they learned from native from natives. So all that being said, the way I was raised as a kid was I knew I was going to be a soldier. It was my calling. It's what the creator made me for. But that doesn't have to be everyone. But it the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. I I don't like that saying. I like that it everyone needs a village and you have to be a member of your village. So I might be the fiercest warrior that ever lived, but if there's only one of me in that village, I'm going to get massacred when I run out of the battlefield by myself. You can be the best hunter the village has ever seen, but if you're not willing to teach, coach, and mentor the next um, hunters coming up behind you, your village will only will only eat while you're there and you have the ability to be the best hunter that that village has ever seen. So right. we all need this support system. We all need to understand where we where we can what where we plug into our village or our community, if you will. So um society wants to take take those things away, right? And and tell you that you shouldn't be a blue collar plumber. Well who's gonna fix your toilet or who's gonna fix the plumbing in your house when it goes bad. So I say those things because you need to be able to figure out where you plug into your community, but also forget, don't, don't forget, you know, that you are a warrior. You have to defend that village. You have to, you have to assist your community in the, in the best way that you can. And I think when I look at my life, you know, yes, I was raised for that. If you asked me when I was three years old, what I was going to be, I would tell you, I was going to be an airborne ranger. And Every kid doesn't get raised that way. Every kid's, you know, not going to have a crazy cowboy for a dad and a, and a <laughs> badass Indian lady, Apache lady for a mom. But um, we can't stop raising warriors. We can't, you know, stop stop that in our society because the reality is the world's really, really fucking cool, and the rest of the world hates America. And you know, back to because it's hot right now. You know, Palestine and Israel. You can you can say what side you prefer or agree with one side or the other, but the reality is what Americans don't understand is you don't have a dog in the fight. You don't have a choice to pick what you want. You literally have um, a radical agenda and countries and state, the the, the talking heads of their state saying that they want to end America and, and uh, come after you. So you could be, you know, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your religion, your ideology, you can be Muslim. They don't care. They're coming after you. They hate you too. Um, and I think that as Americans, we need to get back and understand that we are warriors. We, we, we have that ability. Um, and I'm just rambling, but, uh, I think that's the most important part of my story. And that's something I try to share with my own children on my social media or what I'm doing is never forget where we come from. Um, we have the ability to be this very unique culture that comes from all walks of life. However, we blend better than any other place in the world. There's no other country on the planet that allows, you know, a black Muslim to be best friends with a white Christian kid. Um, and 
And the reality is, is people don't understand that. They don't know. So I think it's very important that veterans of all walks of life in our country, religious, religions, skin colors, relay that message and share that and continue to be warriors, even though they're not physically in the military anymore. Be a warrior for your community. Be a warrior and showcase that because it is going away and it's dying. Dude, it's it's apparent. And it's one of those things where you have like a a dying class. And we're seeing the end of, of Vietnam veterans, just like we saw, yeah. you know, the end of World War II veterans. And, and eventually, especially with the way, uh, you know, not to not to hop on another soapbox, but the way the way that we're seeing suicide rates and cancer rates within the military community is just devastating. So we we may we may leave sooner than they you know those generations did. Um, but well, I think that that what you just said to me it ties back into being a warrior, right? And and yeah. um, and and I try to you know kind of preach a little bit of this, especially with the veteran suicide. You know, the first stance of the Ranger Creed says recognizing that I volunteered as a Ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession. So, you know, you're sitting there, you're being sad about your buddy who had a, a great death, who died next to people he fucking loved, died doing something he volunteered for and he wanted to be and wanted to do. Don't take that away from him. Honor him and be a fucking warrior for your community and live as hard as you fucking can. So the veteran suicide to me shit does piss me off a lot because it's like you didn't you didn't get told what to do you didn't get forced what to do you chose to be a warrior and you need to live for your friends that that had a good death and they died they knew what they were doing they knew yeah. exactly what they're doing and yeah. and it's easier said than done and i'm not saying i don't struggle with it myself but you know you gotta fucking live man live hard do not if you stop being a warrior you'll sit on yourself you'll turn into a big fucking pussy all the shit we talk about all the people you don't like blue-haired person that thinks it's a toaster yeah, you're acting just like them when you're sitting, fucking sitting your feelings and forget who you are, forget where you come from. Right on, man. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's a it's such a complex issue, but I think you're right. I think it's you know, be be brave, be courageous. Just put one foot in front of the other. There, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, and I and I and I get it. There's medications and and there's a a, a litany of problems that can that can uh, from your diet to you know. Dude, yeah again again with the blanket right, thing you know and, and right, like blaming absolutely. blaming and everything and on one thing at that either but yeah. no not at all um so i think a, a lot of people talk uh talk a real good game about like con, you know continuing the fight continuing you know to be a warrior continuing and and then a lot of people also talk about you know like well sharing my story um you're you're doing both with war party so talk a little bit about that yes, and sir. how that that comes into you know being a warrior and being a storyteller because it it really is i mean it's a it's a solid combo of both and you're you're still fighting for people um on a different level yeah so um so i retired from the army um i was getting ready to do a bunch of uh anti-human trafficking work um you know my resume uh just like most guys in the community it's pretty easy to pick up contract work um <laughs> Something I always, you know, wanted to do. Uh, my mother was very involved in in uh, assisting women, and and not necessarily in the anti trafficking side, but um, my mother and father both did a lot for uh, women in the community, um, uh, and, and just families in the community who were down and out or or in abusive situations. 
so I knew like, you know, I, I need to serve and I need to continue to do that and create my own purpose. And you hear all these veterans talk about purpose and something I was worried about, you know, my mental health struggle and how was I going to, how was I going to react after, you know, one day being this really cool dude in the hallway to just being a regular dad now that I retired. So um, I started a uh, war party movement, which essentially is just a t-shirt company, an apparel company. Um, and I was using the money to help conduct investigations uh, for missing loved ones, mostly on Indian reservations. Um, MMIW stands for missing, murdered indigenous women. Um, just a couple of statistics. It's really hard to, to track because of all the nuances that go on in the, in the native communities on and off the reservations. But uh, the last study they did was in uh, 2016, where it's five, uh, 5,172 um, missing or murdered women. In 2016, the DOJ only logged 116 cases. So, I mean, you're only looking at 116 families that were told, yes, your loved one is missing, or yes, they are murdered, and yes, we're going to do something about it. The other, you know, do the math, uh, over 5,000 families are just out there flapping in the wind. Right. So, um, I would just just started with just trying to help families, you know, search and rescue efforts or someone's missing. Hey, yeah, I'll come out there and drive around or hike around or ride around the horse, whatever I need to do to, to try to help you. Um, and that kind of uh, snowballed into something bigger and something cooler where it was like a lot of people um, in the veteran community really uh, assisted me. One, you know, uh, whether it was just social media, some a veteran reaches out and says, hey, man, you know, if you ever need anything, this is where I live. Uh, and uh, I've had, a, I met a lot of cool friends from doing that. Um, and I've had a lot of really cool uh, veterans be able to go out on searches and, and uh, whether they're native or non-native, um, go assist native families and assist and assist people that needed their help. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is the money from the t-shirt sales, let's say you're, you know, where you live out in California, um, there's a missing native girl and you're like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go in the mountains. I'll connect with, uh, I'll hike around or connect this family. And I'll send you a couple hundred bucks, cover your gas and cover your fees, or maybe any special equipment you might need while you're out there. Um, and use your skill set as a, you know, whatever it is, a medic or infantryman or Navy yeah. SEAL, whatever, to go out and uh, and help these families. So that's how it all started. Um, and then once I, what I always bring up the messaging is with the War Party movement was I wanted people to, um, you know, no one talks to their neighbors anymore. No one, no one, uh, assist people with with what's going on you know you're you're walking through the parking lot of the grocery store and you see uh, a lady you know she's got a a six-month-old baby in her hand she's got a three-year-old toddler running around going crazy and she's got a cart full of groceries well you just walk right past her and you don't even say anything you know right when i was a kid my dad would have freaking smacked me upside the head and told me to go help her we don't do that anymore. So now yeah. it's like, I try to show that message of, Hey, introduce yourself to your neighbors. You see that lady who needs help. Excuse me, ma'am. Can I help you? Yeah. Here, hold my kid, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, help your community be more involved, be, be, um, be your grandfather, you know, be that world war two generation of, of men and women. Um, and that's really how it started. And, and it's kind of really snowballed on there because uh, I have so many, non-natives now understanding and getting involved in NMIW yeah, issues, man. which is, which is really cool because, um, most people think when they think natives, they think of a certain look or a certain type, right? Like I'm, yes, I'm, I'm half, but 
there's a lot of natives that are like myself that aren't really dark skin that do have some facial hair or sure. women in these areas and we all look different um so i think that's been another cool experience for all these non-natives to understand what's going on and i look at the mmiw issue that especially on indian reservations as if we can assist that and really um, make a dent in that as a community, whether that's from the government side of things with the BIA all the way to grassroots organizations, um, nonprofits uh, like Sage the Saddle on Pine Ridge that are doing great things for kids. We can we can really harness this and, and make a dent in this and improve that community. I think that is a, a stepping stone and almost a model on how we can improve other communities, whether that's, you know, um, rural white America and Appalachia that's suffering from, you know, opioid crisis, or you're looking at inner city issues that are suffering from gang violence and, and, and drug addiction. Um, so I think, you know, that being said, you know, where there's poverty, there's human trafficking period. That's hand in hand Always. together. Yeah. People are looking for a better life. People are looking for a way out. Um, the commonality of, you know, the 16 year old girl who's their mom's boyfriend comes in their room every night and rapes them and does that. That's black, white, brown, Asian. Doesn't matter. That happens. It's happening right now as we speak in the United States, all over the country. So I look at if we can expose what's going on in the native community, we can really help that. That will help garner more um, people in their community to, to continue to continue to use that. So that was a lot of why, why I wanted to try to do that. Um, I don't think of, you know, who knows where it can go, but not saying I'll be able to affect things on a national level, but, um, that was the idea behind starting the work party movement. It was to really kind of create force multipliers, just like when I was in special forces to be yeah. able to go out there and assist their community and motivate people to assist their community. You know, fast forward, you know, uh, after doing it for about a year, um, I realized there was a bigger problem when it comes to actually helping women in need. Uh, and that problem is there's nothing to get them on their feet. You know, if you assist a woman and you get her out of a bad situation and she has no family to go to, uh, now you're calling around all these nonprofits trying to figure out a safe house for her to go to or whatever. And uh, you take her there and, you know, it's like a 30 day program that that church or that safe house or whatever that, that provides, they can only assist them for so long. Right. There's only um, so much for the, each, each bed or each patient or whatever. Yeah. Ex Exactly. And then where that turns into is they're not actually learning. They're not uh, improving their situation. They're not learning a skill set. They're not gaining confidence and trying to regain who they were back. Right. Um, so what you end up creating is just another cog in the wheel of the, it's so hard to break the cycle of abuse and break that cycle of trauma. So we kind of saw that. And my sister and I, um, she's like the most badass cowboy I know. She's not my real sister, but uh, she has become you know, like a sister to me. Um, yeah. but I, so I do give her the honor of calling her my sister. Um, we started a nonprofit arm of war party movement called war party ranch. And what we do there is, um, through so this is a physical hunting, property. Uh, yes, yes. War party ranch. Okay. Yes. So, um, we have, uh, what we do there is we provide, um, skills for women, uh, leaving abusive relationships or that have been in abusive relationships. Most of those life skills are, um, you know, cowboy, everything's kind of horse related, cowboy oriented. Um, but we also do, um, you know, like self-defense, we do hunting. Uh, we do a lot of things to really create that warrior spirit and that warrior mindset. Uh, and then the tangibles of that is, you know, practicals of, you know, if you've never ridden a horse before, you know, and six months later, 
um, you're out gathering cattle or you're out roping stuff and you're, you you can see that tangible um, progress as well as you're healing through nature and these horses and whatnot. Uh, and it's the same whether we're doing hunting or we're doing, you know, um, just general cowboy work. So what we do is we work um, mostly with women in our local community in out of Kiowa, Colorado. Um, but we also have a, a bigger footprint across the country. Um, we have on, we do online training or excuse me, online therapy. We offer for, for a lot of women, a really, really cool program um, ran by a native lady who allows uh, any walk of life, race, religion, culture to study and to heal and to go through your trauma on your own at your own pace. Um, and that's really cool because we don't have to worry about, you know, if you're a Hispanic lady from Texas that's Catholic versus if you're a black girl from who's Baptist from Georgia or you're a native girl who's Navajo from Arizona, um, this lady can help facilitate your healing and, and coaching you through um, that therapy, which is really cool. Um, and then another thing we have, another kind of touch point across the country is we also have a, a strength conditioning coach um, who works specifically with rodeo athletes. So we're able to offer that too. So we have a little bit of bigger footprint than just our local community and what we can actually bring in to Kiowa, Colorado to actually physically be on our ranch. We're very new. Um, I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to running. Yeah, that's the best way. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, neither does my sister, but uh, we made a lot of mistakes and we've also done a lot of really, really cool things. And uh, it's really cool to see, you know, the progress of these women and their confidence and, and what we do. So, um, long i've been just been rambling the whole time been on this podcast but uh that's basically in a nutshell kind of an umbrella of what war party is um the difference between war party movement and now moving forward with war party ranch Uh, one thing i've wondered you know as i've seen you share you know stories about uh about the operations and stuff is like is how do you how do you vet uh a case like, so if you're, if you're going out to assist a woman, like how do you, or, or a child or whatever, how do you vet that case? Like, how do you make sure it's not just like someone throwing up a false flag and, and doing that? Yeah. Or do you, or um, do you just take everybody at their word, you know? No. So a lot of it's been trial and error, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just good. And I'm just sure. good in the woods, you know, with a bat, with a huge backpack on my back. Um, <laughs> so I, I, uh, it's been a learning, a learning process for sure. Uh, when it comes to vetting a specific thing, um, when it comes to women and children, um, there are some kind of, uh, especially as you understand addicts, uh, sometimes are manic, right? So if you do have somebody, you, you try to assess that. Are they a drug addict? Are they an alcoholic? Are they manic? Uh, where is the information coming from? And you basically just turn on your investigator hat and do what I would, what we would do. And, uh, you know, when I was in special forces, is you just start building that, um, you just start basically putting that target package together and figuring out and gathering intel as you go. Um, oftentimes you can kind of filter through some of the stuff uh, when there are drugs and alcohol involved in that. But when it comes to women and children, for most part, we kind of take them at face value as we get the investigation going and we start rolling with it uh, Mm -hmm. until some like red flags pop up or something like that. But the reality is, is, uh, you know, again, say a family reaches out where you are um, and I send you out to help we're going to communicate even if it's your first time doing it. Um, yeah. What are you seeing? What's going on? I'd rather send you out there and it'd be a, and it not be the real thing than not send you out there. And it is the real thing. For so, sure. um, yeah. so I think like, I hope that answers a little bit. Um, but the reality is, is the hardest thing that we do 
at War Party Movement and War Party Ranch is we can't tell the story um, of the people we assist, the families we assist. Um, oftentimes they're small, they're on Indian reservations and it's a very uh, tight knit rural community um, where if I just give a little bit of in, intel on it or try to say, hey, thank you, this is what you guys supported this month, it is very easy to figure out You know, the lady on Pine Ridge that we helped and exactly who she was. And the reality is that's not for us to tell. Um, and the same with the women we work with on the nonprofit side. I mean, um, we do have a really cool uh, uh, small documentary coming out that Boopon came out and filmed uh, two weeks ago. Um, and it was really cool because some of the ladies that were involved in it were willing to tell their story. And, you know, we've been working with them for a year plus. Um, so it was really cool to see these women uh, progress in such a manner that now they are willing to talk about what happened to them and where they are in life and, and how they got there. Um, but you can't just, you know, just go out and start telling, trying to share all the good things you do in your community. And, uh, when it's really not your story to tell, and you're also putting a lot of these women in vulnerable situations. Um, and then they're still trying to build their confidence up. So that's the whole yeah. thing we've done on, on work party movement side of it is, is how do we tell the story? How do we, um, actually do these women justice? So oftentimes what we do is we just don't do anything. We don't need to, you know, um, try to self-promote, if you will. Uh, yeah. The ladies that, and the families we help um, have our backs and they, they've shared enough and continue to share what they're doing in their community as well as how we're assisting them do that. Damn, high risks, uh, high risk storytelling, man. Yeah, so. and, and then again, you know, and we're not, also I do kind of put this out there, we're not vigilantes. You know, when I say I'm, I'm asking uh, veterans to come out and help, um, it's not like we're strapping up and getting up and, and kicking indoors, you know? Right. It, it is very like, a lot of it's just kind of a support system. Um, again, when I say non-natives to actually natives, um, I've never had a family um, be upset that, you know, a big tattooed white dude with a beard showed up to their house to help them. They were, um, thought it was amazing. Uh, natives to this day are very, very, so Native Americans serve at the highest rate of any race in our country in the United States military. Oh, yeah. um, Native veterans are honored and they are warriors and they're put on a pedestal in the community still <laughs> as they should be. Um, so that being said, it's very easy when I tell a family, hey, I got a guy coming to you. This is his background. And they're like, yep, awesome. He's here to help. Because they, they really do understand what being a warrior and being soldiers are all about. Um, so that is another stepping stone or another really cool piece i think that we've been able to offer the community uh that i've been able to offer the community from being a veteran myself so cool and i can't wait to see what else you guys do what um where can people find you where can people find war party um you know keep up with what, what you got going on yeah so war party uh, if you just go to warpartymovement.com or warpartyranch.com um or excuse me dot org um they're both kind of interlinked if you type in one or the other i'll send you to the website um excuse me on social media um uh, we're not real good at facebook but uh instagram war party movement on instagram and war party ranch on instagram and then say myself i'm uh jeremiah underscore blackbeard on instagram so anybody can reach um we do have we have a, a crew that kind of runs the uh the war party pages but um but you know you can reach out to there 
Uh, if you're DMing, it might not be me responding. Um, just kind of give people a heads up because sometimes I get the "Hey brother" message or whatever, and it's and somebody else responded to it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's always an issue but, with more people on one account. Yeah, yeah, but uh, and then but me personally, you know, feel free to reach out to me anytime, whether it's just to shoot shit or ask for advice or fucking tell me I'm fucked up and doing something wrong. You know, it is what it is. I I do want to thank you for what you've been doing this month. Um, really cool to uh, to see that. I think you know honoring our warriors in that manner is uh is special and uh i think that um a lot of people especially with how convoluted veterans are or conflicted veterans are, i should say with afghanistan and what we've done in iraq and was my service meaningful and did i do something did i you know all those things i think that veterans can struggle with and see the immorality of some of the things we've been we've done on the battlefield um you know war is a motherfucker man um one man's freedom fighters, another man's terrorist. Geronimo's last dying words were, I wish I killed more Mexicans. So we have to understand and ex- accept the fact that war is horrible, right? And I think that a lot of the literature and the books that you have highlighted and those viewpoints of these natives, you know, people say, well, why do natives serve? Why are they doing this? You know, they were colonized. You were sent to boarding schools. All these terrible things happen to you in a country that doesn't love you. Well, that's fucking wrong because, and they understand that. They understand that they have to defend North America, Turtle Island. Yeah. Um, and they understand that, uh, you know, we are warriors and what else are we going to do? So I think it's really cool that if people, that you're highlighting that. And I think that a lot of veterans will get a lot out of all those, those books and literature. I think their stories um, are really cool. And, and I think would go a long ways mentally for a lot of veterans struggling with purpose. Oh, for sure, man. I'm, I'm so, so honored to, to hear that. We, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we've put a whole bunch of books up there and not all of them have been entirely related to military history, um, you know, or military culture period. Uh, really, really just kind of, I mean, it's, if I had to, if I had to pick a genre or, or, you know, like a subtopic, like that's, that is the the majority of what I read is, is, you know, native authors, native poets, um, and, but I mean, that, that strong hearts wounded souls one, uh, that I posted the the excerpt from, uh, from Tom Holm, um, that was, you know, just what you're talking about, about, you know, we, as a people, like we didn't feel like we, you know, my community, my section of the reservation, we didn't feel like it was our fight at all, but we felt like if we didn't go fight, then it wouldn't have been honorable. And we would have been doing, you know, just as bad as the people who, who we were calling out regularly. So it's just interesting to understand that and it's important to understand it especially when you're talking about you know if they're if if we're talking about a group of people who serve at a higher rate than any other demographic in the country then then that deserves some understanding and some research into what you know what makes that that group tick yeah absolutely i agree my man all right well anything else before we get out of here no sir i appreciate it sorry i did a little bit of rambling i was all hopped up on coffee been drinking coffee the whole time so all right jeremiah wilbur warrior storyteller thank you so much thank you brother thank you for what you're doing for the the community tell me a story right now go Uh, all right well so it was a real quiet (laughs) (laughs) you never know that's the point